Our epistle lesson this morning, we will be doing, having two different scripture lessons each week through the month of June, but our epistle lesson comes from the book of 1 John, not the Gospel of John, the epistle, 1 John, which is towards the back of your Bible. Uh, we're looking at chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loves, uh, loved us so much, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Hear now the word of the Lord. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing what he answered them well, he, he asked him, and the hymn is Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that. He is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole, than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Well, like I said before, we are starting a new series on the art of neighboring. And this is a very interesting series uh, that, uh, and, and Kristen is the one who came up with this idea. I have to give all, all credit to her. Um, she came to me with this, with this notion, the art of neighboring. And when she first presented it to me, she, she presented it uh, with, this, with this question. What if Jesus actually meant what he said? Love your neighbor as yourself. I said, I don't think he didn't mean that. I, I mean, that, that seems like a pretty straightforward question. I think Jesus did mean love your neighbor as yourself. And she said, no, 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 you, you're, you don't get it. What if Jesus meant your actual neighbor? What? And so we had a dialogue about this, uh, about, about this passage. You see, all throughout Scripture, God is, is, is constantly pointing us to these very same things. The greatest commandment is, is how we read it in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and, and eventually, we'll get to the Luke version, which goes into the Good Samaritan story, and it's going to be really exciting once we get there. But we start with the Mark passage today because it's, it's more uh, broken down in the way that it presents it. This, this notion that, that everybody knows the greatest commandment. 
Each time, Jesus, each time Jesus is presented with what is the greatest commandment, it's not hard for people to answer. The first is, you shall love the Lord your God. It's the Shema. This is what it's called in Hebrew, which Shema just means hear, O Israel, hear, uh, which comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says. And the second is like it. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This comes out of Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, it's right there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this isn't something new that Jesus is introducing. It's something that's been carried on throughout the Jewish tradition. And, and, and it's this challenge to put our love into action. And, and, uh, and, and as we have this presented before us, the greatest commandment, which people know, it's something that we just know, if you've spent, you know, half a day in church, you've probably heard this, love. That's like what we tell people. That's, that's like our whole thing is that one word, love. You are loved and you should love. You are loved and you should love. That's, that's what it's all about right there. But as, as we bring this forward and we present this love your neighbor as yourself notion, we tend to twist this into a more comfortable way. We tend to take this and, and we put it on bumper stickers and we put it on t-shirts and all its many different uh, forms and fashions and, 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 and we, we kind of miss the purpose that Jesus has given us a practical plan that we can actually put into place. A plan that has the potential to change the world. But, but unfortunately, uh, that majority of Christians, the majority of us, myself included, has uh, hinted to by our, my conversation with Kristen about this first, uh, uh, we don't really get that part, the love your neighbor. Because if I were to ask you, who is your neighbor? What do you think your answer would be? It, just generally speaking, if I were just to ask, who is your neighbor? I'm sorry? Give them names. Excellent. Hey, that's, that's actually uh, great. See, what I, what I was uh, expecting is that somebody would say, everyone. Everybody is your neighbor. Uh, oh, oh, we had one of those answers in the back. <laughs> yeah. uh, this, is, and, and this is great and everything, and it's nice to think that, but it, it, ends up in, it ends up kind of missing the point of what Jesus is trying to teach. If I may go off uh, our scripture lesson today and go to the Luke passage for just a moment, Whenever Jesus is confronted with this question, who is my neighbor? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And guess what? In the story of the Good Samaritan, there are a handful of people that show up. And there, there is a, a, uh, a priest and a Pharisee that, that come by. And then there is a Samaritan, like the scum of the earth walks by. And the Samaritan is the one who ends up helping this injured person. And after the story, Jesus asks the uh, person, the, the lawyer who came to him, which of these was a neighbor to the other? He says, the one who cared for him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So in other words, from Jesus' perspective, it's not so much that everyone is our neighbor. That's fine in everything. But if everyone ends up becoming our neighbor, if we think of everyone as our neighbor, then no one is. If we think of everyone as our neighbor, then eventually no one becomes our neighbor because it's not humanly possible to take care of over seven billion people. 
One person can't take care of over seven billion people. So we, we, we want to take this point and narrow it into a more practical place for just a moment and hear Jesus' words. The person who cared for the other, that was the neighbor. And so by Jesus' definition, to be a neighbor is to care for one another, to love one another. And so we, we come back to this Mark passage here, and this, is, this entire sermon series here is based off of a book called The Art of Neighboring, and it's, it's by, uh, uh, his name is, if I can think for just a second here, I think I have it written down. Yeah, there we go. Oh, gosh. Uh, Dave Runyon. Dave Runyon has this book called The Art of Neighboring. You can go out and buy this book. It's very interesting. Uh, this Mark 12 passage is, is one of the foundational passages for, uh, the, for the book, considering what it means to be a neighbor. And, and it begs us to ask the question, what if Jesus actually meant our neighbor, like the people who live right next to us? See, Jesus here takes, the, take the, takes these old commandments, the commandments that everybody in the Jewish faith would have known. If, if you're a good Jew, you're, you're brought up uh, knowing all 620-some-odd commandments, 600, oh gosh, it's over 600 different commandments. But these two, these two are like the first ones you learn. Love God, love your neighbor. Like, it's, 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 it's just like that. Uh, and so everybody knows these. And so Jesus brings these commandments back to light. Why? Because these very simple commandments have been overanalyzed by us. We take these and we start unpacking them and saying, okay, well, loving God, let's see how crazy we can make it to love God. Loving our neighbor, let's see how wild we can make it to love our neighbor and start doing all these things. And Jesus takes it back and says, no, 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 it's, it's not that crazy. It's very simple. It's not that wild. It's very simple. Just, just love. Just love God and neighbor. And... and this commandment here is difficult, right? Because Jesus ends up saying, on, all, on, these, on this commandment hang all the law and the prophets, which means if, if you want to take care of all the other 600 plus commandments, just do these two. The rest of them fall into place by doing these two. We get hung up in church on commandments far too often. We get hung up on rules far too often. Ah, y'all. I've got to. I've got to make a confession to you. I have a problem with authority. <laughs> I really do. I have a problem with authority. When somebody tells me that I can't do something, what does that make me want to do? I want to do it. I say, you can't tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I, I, I had very much the same run with the Bible uh, at different points in my life. Care what rules you want to throw in front of me? These are these are dumb rules. I don't, I don't want to pay attention to these rules. The Bible isn't a rule book, and it took a long time for me to get there and understand that. The Bible isn't a rule book. Okay, there are these commandments in there, but these commandments aren't saying this is this is what you need to do, otherwise you're going to be punished. It's this is God's book of potential for human beings. The Bible is God's book of potential for human beings, saying that if you do you adhere to these guidelines, there is flourishing that comes out of it. If you love people, there is no detriment from that. 
If you love people, that is like the most sacred thing that you can do. Jesus says, against these, there is no law to love. So it's, it's not about following rules. And even though uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke present this passage as commandments, it's not about the rules of it all. It's about the possibility for us to be better human beings. We, ha- we don't have laws for just for, us to, for God to be able to say, because I said so. Like that's, that's something that doesn't really jive with me whenever, whenever uh, you know, in a sermon or something like that, a preacher says, you need to do this. And I'm like, why? And the preacher's like, because God said so. God's not like a really stubborn parent that doesn't want to give a reason to their child or whatever. Like, this is, this is God saying, because this is how we live more harmonious lives. This is how we end up flourishing as a people. And so the, the scribe comes to Jesus looking for the right thing to do. And Jesus turns toward the natural thing to do, to love one another. Did you know that's naturally ingrained in what it means to be a human being, to love one another? It's like at the core of, of human existence. And if you want some proof for it, I want to take you back a few thousand years. I don't care. We can take it back all the way to the beginning of time, the beginning of, of human existence. From the beginning of human existence, human beings have always, always, always connected with one another. There's this beautiful, uh, this beautiful model called the ecological model that's, uh, that's out there. And e- ecology is just a study of the way that human beings relate to one another. And it exists because that's what human beings do. We relate to one another. And in the ecological model, the model itself, if you were to go and look up a picture, is a bunch of concentric circles. There's like this tiny little circle and a little bit bigger circle and bigger circle and bigger circle and bigger circle. And in each of these circles exists a realm of human connection. At the very center is the individual. That's, that's the most basic it gets for us. I am me. And just beyond that individual is the family unit. The family, that, 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 that unit of people that we spend the most amount of our time with. And then it grows into a, like our extended family, if you connect with those, or people that we spend more more of our time with every day, uh, people we see at work or school or stuff like that, and extends out even more into our community and extends out even more into our state, into our nation, into the globe. This is the ecological model of human existence. This model has always existed. Take it all the way back to the beginning of human civilization, and what do humans do? A human being is born into some kind of family unit. And what does that family unit do? They go and they find other family units to connect with. Why? Because there is safety in numbers. If you are, you know, five, let's go 5,000 years ago, we'll make it simple. Uh, you can take it even further back than that if you want. But go just a couple thousand years ago, it was dangerous to be alone in the world. Very dangerous to be alone in the world. And so human beings understood this, and they st- so they started connecting th- together. And these family units started connecting with other units, and then all of a sudden we have a clan. And these clans started banding together, and we have tribes. And these tribes start banding together, and we have nations. And these nations started banding together, and we have civilization. This is the way that it has always been for humanity, that we are a people who 
inherently seek connection with other people. So whenever Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not introducing something radical or even something hard. He's just saying, be a decent human being. Just exist in the world without conflict with somebody else. That's, that's really it. I know that might sound like a really hard thing to do, but it's, it's pretty basic to just coexist with another human being. We do it all the time. You're doing it right now. I don't know if you can see the people around you. You're coexisting pretty well. I don't see anybody throwing any punches or hurling harsh words. You're doing all right. Guess what? You're doing exactly what it means to be a human being. So we have this ecological model here that, that calls us to recognize the social nature of what it means to be a human being. And here is where it starts becoming a little bit more actionable for us. Because, you see, Jesus reintroduces these commandments, love God and love your neighbor, as the format for what it means to change the world. Do you know that you're a world changer? Did you know that you have the capacity to literally change the world? And all you have to do is be a human being? All you have to do is connect with the people who are most immediately near you. That's it. That's the whole premise of this sermon series. I could stop right now with that one sentence. You can change the world just by connecting with the people who are most immediately around you. Boom. Sermon series over. That's it. But I'm going to expound upon it just a little bit more. You see, worlds are changed one small act of kindness at a time. Worlds are changed one little step at a time. There's this beautiful parable that Jesus tells where, uh, where, he is, where there's this, uh, this child who's like possessed by a demon and the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And so they bring the child to Jesus and Jesus casts the demon out, no problem. And they say, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, you small-minded and perverse generation, like how long do I have to be with you? It's one of the best lines that Jesus ever says. It's awesome. And he says, why don't you get it? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Tiny faith and you can move mountains. Now, here's the thing that, that we need to make very clear. Context plus content equals meaning. Jesus didn't actually mean that if you just believe in in Jesus just a little bit, then you're able to go talk to mountains and they just move, okay? Uh, I've tried it. Maybe I don't actually have enough faith, but I have tried it. I've stood in a mountain and said, I think I believe in Jesus enough. Move! It didn't go anywhere. (laughs) It didn't work like that. But Jesus speaks in parables often. So you have to understand the context here. Jesus and his disciples were in the city of Bethpage, Okay, it's a city just outside of Jerusalem, and, and it's on this little hilltop. And on this hilltop, you can see something really amazing happening while Jesus and his disciples were there. It was one of the largest construction projects that, that had gone on in that time in their area. It was the construction of the Herodium. The Herodium is a fortress that King Herod had built inside a mountain. Okay, you can go there and still visit it to this day. It's still standing. Go to Jerusalem and just outside you'll see this like mound, just looks like a large mound cleared of trees and, in, and built into it is a fortress there. But here's the thing, Herodian, or King Herod had, had a, like an enormous ego and just was like, I can do whatever I want because I'm king, so I'm going to do whatever I want. And originally that mound of dirt where the fortress is at was a few hundred yards just over to the side. 
And you can go there and see there's a little, a little plateau that sits there. Uh, just next to the Herodium. That mound of dirt used to sit somewhere else and King Herod said, I'm not too fond of this position, let's move it over this way. And so they moved a mountain, literally, they moved a mountain just a few, few hundred yards away. I don't understand, it's, it's a very comical scene to picture for King Herod. Here's the thing though, how do you move a mountain 200 years ago when you don't have excavators and backhoes and trackhoes and like dump trucks and all this stuff? Any guesses how you move mountains? Slave labor, yes. Yes, lots of slave, slave labor. Your neighbors. Yeah, yes. is very small. It's one bucket at a time. A human being can carry, you know, a decent-sized bucket. Yay big. And that's what they did through dominantly slave labor, yes. And, and they would take this mountain and they would scoop up the dirt a few hundred yards this way and dump it down. Dirt, move it, boom. Herodians being built. And Jesus is watching this happen with his disciples. And this is why he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. Because he's saying, it doesn't take a lot to move a mountain. You can move a mountain one bucket at a time. It's going to take a long time, but it can be done. And this is how the world is changed, all right? So we were, we were there uh, with one of our professors and one of our pastors, and we were talking about the relationship uh, between the Muslims and the Jews in the area. And we were talking about, like, what would it take to mend relationships in this area with our professor? And he says, one bucket at a time. Because that's how we change worlds, one bucket at a time. So whenever we start talking about what it means to love your neighbor, don't ever discount the magnitude that that has. Because one bucket at a time can move mountains, and one relationship at a time can change worlds. All right, so I want you to keep the picture of that Herodium in mind as we go on to, uh, as we go on to how we actually do this. Bishop David Graves, Graves, who's the bishop of the Alabama West Florida Conference and the one who gave me this stole and ordained us and everything this past week, uh, he has this phrase that he says almost any time he talks anywhere. He says, focus on changing your corner of the world. You don't have to worry about the corner way over there, so long as you know people in that corner figure out they need to be concerned with their corner of the world. We can't neglect our corner of the world, and friends, Mobile does need Jesus, like truthfully. And so we focus on our corner of the world. And so we've, I've been using this word love a lot, and I told you I don't like telling anybody to do something just because I said so, and I certainly don't like telling anybody to do something without some kind of actionable plan. So let's talk briefly about what it means to love. And this is why we had our first John passage earlier. Uh, where it starts talking about, hey, God is love. Nobody can say they know God if they don't have love. So we're putting a little bit of guilt in here, right? Just a little, little bit of a guilty conscience in here to say, like, you may call yourself a Christian, but are you actually a Christian if you're not actually loving people? Because that's what it means to know God, to love the way that God loves. So how do we actually love? The Greek language, which most of the New Testament was written in, has six to eight words for love. I wish I could give you an exact number on that, but it's six to eight somewhere in there. It depends on who you ask. Sometimes there's more and sometimes there's less uh, words that, that talk about different types of love. 
However, one unique thing that they all have in common, no matter what kind of love that we're talking about, at the core of love is simply to invest yourself into the life of another. Every kind of love, that's the exact same thing. Invest yourself into the life of another. If you want to go with philia, this is brotherly love, invest yourself in the life of your brother. If you want to go to storgy, which is familial love, invest yourself in the life of your family. If you want to go to agape, which is unconditional love, invest yourself unconditionally in the life of another. It's, they, they all boil down to the exact same thing. Invest yourself into the life of another. So when we're talking about what it means to love, when we see this First John passage up against this Mark 12 passage, and we see this concept of love your neighbor as yourself, it's just about investing yourself into the life of another. And so love in practice looks like loving the way that we have been loved. Because that's what it's all based on. First John says, this is love, not that we love God, but that God first loved us. And so we love the way that God loves us. And how does God love us? One bucket at a time. One day at a time, God loves us one day at a time. One life at a time. It's very simple. And so our call is simply to invest in the life of another in this very same way. Jesus called us, us to, actual, to love our actual neighbors. And here's where it's going to get really practical, friends. My challenge for each of us today and through the series, and hopefully for the rest of your life, is to start that. Your actual neighbors. I want you to think about the people who actually live around your home. Those people. And I want you to start loving them. But I'm not going to tell you to do that without some further instruction, because I'm going to make this real simple for us. I want you to take out the Art of Neighboring block map for just a second. And I want you to look at this, and, and right in the center of this block map, just picture that as your home. Wherever you live, whatever your home situation looks like, just picture that as your home. All around, you got a little bingo thing going on here. All around, I want you to think of those blank spaces as your neighbors. How well do you think that you could fill out these boxes? You don't have to answer that. It was a rhetorical question. Uh, in, in the A section... How well do you think you could list out your neighbors' names? In the B section, how well do you think you could list something factual about your neighbors, like something they do, something that, that's, uh, that's you know, interesting about them? And then the C section, how well do you think you could list out there something deeper about your neighbors, something that they care about, something that provides meaning in their life, something they're fearful about? I'm going to be real honest for a moment here. I could do about one and a half of these. One and a half of these, uh, uh, of these squares here. And we live on a pretty big cul-de-sac. If you've ever been to the Parsonage, we have, there are a lot of houses there. And it's really easy to meet neighbors because people are always out walking and, and, and conversing and everything. And we know a little bit of them, but fully filling out these squares, yeah, it's, I mean, right now, if I were to do this, it's not going to go very well. It's going to be incredibly embarrassing for me to show you. And so this challenge extends to me as well. I want you to take this 
Artem neighboring uh, block map home with you. And I want you to put it on your refrigerator because that's the place of high honor in the house, right? If, you, if something's important, you put it on the refrigerator. If you have kids and they draw something, you put it on the refrigerator. If you're at my stage in life, you put a lot of wedding invitations and baby showers on the refrigerator. Uh, that's the place of high honor. So I want you to put this on your refrigerator at like eye level so you see it every single day because I know you go to your refrigerator and you're gonna see this every single day and it's gonna be a reminder. And, and, and I would like for you to try to do this by next week. When you come back here next week, I would love uh, if, you were, if you were able to have filled this out. So, you know, that's eight, eight neighbors just to learn about this week. And there's that awkward part where you've been living next to these people for like a long time, and you're supposed to know at least their names, right? There's that unspoken thing. Let it be awkward for a moment. It's going to have to be if you're going to fill this out. It's gonna have to be just a little bit awkward. And you might have to say, look, I'm so sorry. It's been so long since we've actually had a real conversation. Can you just remind me your name? It's gonna be slightly awkward, but that's okay. Because love has a little bit of awkwardness in it. Whenever Kristen and I first started dating, there was a lot of awkwardness in it. Because we were like, oh, we're just like little kids. I don't know what we're allowed to do. There's a little bit of awkwardness in all kinds of love. That's okay. Let there be some awkwardness and take on this map. Uh, I'm gonna encourage you, probably don't take this with you when you go to talk to your neighbors. <laughs> you're like sitting there with a, uh-huh. <laughs> That's probably a bit much. Just leave it on your refrigerator and after you've talked with one of your neighbors, come back and fill it out after that. And, <laughs> and, uh, and if you're able to bring it back next week, that would be awesome. I'm gonna give you some grace. We're supposed to have this done by next week. I'm gonna give you some grace. If it takes until the week after that, that's perfectly fine. If you're not able to fill this out all the way, I'm gonna give you some more grace. It's okay, I'm not, this isn't a punishment place. I'm not gonna scold you for not getting it done or anything like that. Uh, but but this, is a, this is my challenge for us this week. To love your neighbor. And to love means to invest yourself in the life of another. And what easier way is there to invest yourself in the life of another than just by knowing their name? And what easier way is there to invest yourself in the life of another than just by knowing a simple fact about them? They really like going out on their boat. Something like that. And, uh, and we'll talk more about this as we go through the rest of the art of neighboring, but, but as we keep this challenge in mind, trying to keep it really practical, I hope that you will get to know your actual neighbor and start to love your actual neighbor. And by this, I guarantee you, we will start to change the world. And hey, if you start doing this and you find out, actually like some of these people, invite them to neighbor night. June 23rd, 5.30 p.m. at Ashland Place United Methodist Church. It's half, less than half a mile away from where we are right now. We're just going to show up and hang out and spend some time together. It's low pressure. But this is what it's all about, friends. This is the greatest commandment. You see, Jesus says, when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, Jesus starts by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Okay, and, and, and here's the thing. It's not, Jesus isn't saying the second is like it, as in the, the second is, the second is, like, what's the word? Oh, gosh, I'm missing. There's a word that I'm missing. 
What Jesus is saying here, I'll just go that route, is the second is similar to it in nature. Not similar, not similar to it in status necessarily, although it is, but it's meant to be, it's similar to it in nature. We love God by loving our neighbors. Why? Because that's how God loves. God loves human beings. That's what God does. We love God by loving our neighbors. It's that simple, friends. So join us on this journey to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I have, some, I have a good feeling. If we take this seriously, I have a good feeling about what this might mean moving forward. So with that said, let us go to the Lord together in prayer.